Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Dishonest. Goosebumps. Unreliable. Invisible. On demand. Flawed. Irrelevant. Hateful. Killjoy. Evil. Fraud. Heartless. Unstable. Liar. Ignorant. Absent. That's, That's not my God. God. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Pastor Todd, and I want to welcome all of our locations. And I just want to say, every time we show that, that is still intense to me. I've seen it many times now, but every time I'm like, oh, okay, that's what we're talking about. All right, here we go. But this series, I believe, has been awesome. And if you're new with us, trust me, the sermon's not going to be that intense the whole time, okay? But this series has been really helping us be able to understand and get at, hey, do I have the right idea of who God is? Or are my beliefs maybe a little bit off? And so we've been dealing with that. Maybe uh, the question that I've really stood out to me, the question I've been wrestling with is this question right here. What if my God is not the God? And I think it's so critical that we wrestle with this question because there could be some assumptions that we're making about God. And these assumptions then to lead to us believing that this is the case about who God is. And then our lives were going, we're frustrated with God. Like, God, why does this feel empty? Why is this not going the way it, it talks about in the Bible? Or why everyone talks about, when I hear them talk about their relationship with God, why do things seem off? And it may be because we're believing in the wrong God. We're believing in a fake God. And so we've been wrestling with these mindsets that I think sometimes we have that aren't actually a real God. So here's what we've been going through in the series. On-demand God. A good God does what I want when I want. A goosebumps God. A good God always makes me feel something. And if you missed those first two, I'd say go check it out uh, online, anywhere. It would be awesome to check those out. And then the last one that we'll be hitting next week is heartless God. A good God does not allow pain. But the one today is the killjoy God. A good God does not have tons of rules. Which I think if we're all honest, we've all kind of wondered that question. God, why do you have so many rules? Why have you made this uh, what seems complicated? I know uh, this is a reality because <laughs> uh, I experience it on a regular basis. You may be going, how? Whenever I tell somebody I'm a pastor, <laughs> everything changes. So I've had those moments where I'm playing on a sports team, and they're like, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, my goodness. I am so sorry about my language earlier. I apologize. I don't normally cuss. Um. <laughs> or those moments to show up at the party, and they're like, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. Let me put that down. Um. 
good. And it leads to some very interesting conversations after that. I've also noticed as a pastor, I don't always get invited to certain kinds of parties sometimes that involve a lot of alcohol. It's just not, they don't invite me. Because if the pastor shows up, all of a sudden, although you're not trying to, the killjoy has arrived. <laughs> it's just the reality. And I understand it. Before I became a pastor, I thought the same thing. I'd be like, why is the pastor here? That's weird. But see, we take this mindset a little bit, and then we start to apply it to God. Because what we kind of think about pastors, sometimes we can think about, oh, that's what God wants. And he has all these rules. Oh, he doesn't want me to do that. Oh, I wish he didn't know that about me. We start treating God as this, man, God is just this killjoy. And then we start asking better questions like, God, why do you have all these rules? Why do I think you don't want this? Why is this a rule? Why is this a rule? And so I want to make sure that we get at the heart of this because there's some tension in this. Because there's what culture kind of tends to believe about God in this area. But then there's what the Bible says. So I want to show you what the Bible says. And we've been walking through Psalms 23. Here was the verse that we've kind of been sticking on. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now I want us to read the rest of it. Because this, is how, this next part will apply to the sermon. It says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And so I did some studying on this. Uh, many of you have probably read Psalms 23. You kind of know this passage a little bit. What I find interesting is it says, your rod and your staff. It seems like a very similar word. Why didn't they just go with one of them? Well, as I studied it, what I found out is that they were pointing out two distinct purposes. This thing is still the same. It's a rod and a staff, but it's pointing out a different purposes that it has. So I want to show you a picture of this. That's a shepherd back then. When they were writing this, Psalms 23, it was from a guy named David who was a shepherd. This was a pretty common staff or rod that you would see. And for them, this was a huge tool. Because when you would think of it as a rod, this was a very protective tool. Kick out all the animals that were trying to steal your sheep. Be able to kind of bump the sheep in line when that one sheep keeps going offline. You're like, buddy, for real, bam, get back in line. So it was the rod. There was this protection piece to it, this discipline piece to it. But then when you talk about the staff, there was more of this comfort this sustainer, this one that will pull you in and just be there for you. Because there are sometimes sheep would get caught in something and they would use the hook part of it to pull them out. And so the staff was sometimes the rescue. And so he's making a point here in this is that your rod and your staff, they protect us and comfort us. And I think he's referring to God's law and God's wisdom in the midst of this. To where it provides this protection and provides this comfort, this guidance of how to navigate life. And so the question I started wrestling with is going, is that what I believe about God's law? Is that what I believe in regards to how I take in his wisdom? Because then I was a little bit more convicted later on. In Psalms 119, the writer wrote this. The arrogant mock me unmercifully. 
But I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. Is this my attitude? And if I'm honest with you, it's not. As a pastor, there's still times I struggle with, God, why are all these rules in place? Why, why does this happen? Why are, this just seems confusing. It doesn't seem to match up with culture. How, how am I supposed to navigate this? And there are times where I get frustrated with the law, and I'm like, oh, I don't. God, if I'm brutally honest, it seems like you're, you're taking the fun out of it right now. But trust me, there's other times where I've been like, God, your law is so good. Your law has helped me. It's guided my life. It's protected me from some things. And so I look at this, and if we have a killjoy approach to God, here is where it gets dangerous. Because a killjoy approach to God leads us to think that God is irrelevant. I mean, think about it. If you start to have the thoughts, because I've had them, God, your rules are... (laughs) They're old. They're outdated. They don't apply anymore. You begin to walk this line. It's like, well, you know, I do believe in the God who loves me and saves me, but his rules for my life, eh, they don't apply now. And so we start picking and choosing what we like about God. And I tell you, this becomes very very dangerous because then you start becoming a little bit more in control of navigating your life. And so I did some studying and and I found out that this perspective is very true in our culture. It's actually, I think, why a lot of people struggle to even check out church. Because there was a study done by a group called Barna, and they're a huge research group, and they simply ask the question, why do you go to church, and why do you not go to church? And the answers for why people don't go to church, they're heartbreaking on some levels. Here, let me show them to you. Top reasons not to attend church. Church is irrelevant. Hypocrisy. Moral failures. God is missing. Doubt is prohibited. Lack of community. I guarantee you, most of us in here have probably been to a church and felt this. Experienced this. And it made us angry. It made us frustrated. And I look at this and I go, we're starting to think that this is who God is. And I, and I would say, be careful with that because a lot of these things come from people. Some of it is is we've had pastors who have had moral failures. We've had pastors who've told us, hey, do this, but they're not even doing it themselves. And we struggle because we're holding some of these pastors up to this high regard and having such high standards for them, not even standards that we would have for ourselves. But then we start portraying, well, if that's what the pastor is, that's probably what God is like. He's just relevant to my life, doesn't matter, doesn't apply. And so it takes us down this dangerous road. And Jesus saw this too when he was here on earth. He dealt with it because you had Pharisees at the time causing people to be so confused and lost. And he talked about this in Matthew. Look at this. 
The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Uh, those are some pretty heavy words. <laughs> and, and Jesus is getting at this, hey, there's, this, there's a problem going on here. When you come to the church, you're seeing this. And hear me, what the Pharisees are teaching, it's good. It's a role that's needed in the church. You need to understand what God's word says. We need to come together and gather and learn about God's law. But the problem is, is they're not practicing it. They're not obeying it. And as I studied this, here's what blew my mind. So God, we think about, man, he's had a lot of rules put in place. Reality is, you think about it, when he created Adam and Eve, he had one rule. And we broke it. <laughs> then he's like, okay, we'll do 10. <laughs> How about 10? And then, over time, the Pharisees... The pastors throughout history have taken that, and I don't think they had horrible intentions, but they wanted to bring more clarity to it, so they added over 600 laws to what God had already put in place. So, to give you a for instance, there was one law that talked about taking a Sabbath. And if you want to understand what the Sabbath is, that is the day of rest, where God designed, he's like, I need all of us to take a day of rest where you simply rest and connect with me. That's it. And the Pharisees are like, that is so good. You know what we're going to do? We're going to add 65 laws to that so people know how to rest and know how to connect with God. 65. God's like, I just had one. But you see what we've done here. We've taken something that can be very simple from God and we've complicated it. See, what the Pharisees started doing is they started creating a religion. And hear me, that was never God's intent. He wanted a relationship. So religion has complicated what God has made simple. If you study religions, many of them, if not all of them, have these guidelines and these rules of how you can have a relationship with God. You've got to follow all these to experience maybe getting to heaven, doing this or experiencing this with God, but all the rules have to be followed first. Christianity is the only one that doesn't do that because God pursued us. God chose to take care of the sin issue for us. Not the rules being the thing that defines who gets to be with God, who doesn't. And see, we've made it complicated because of religion. And hear me, we do this all the time. We take things that should be simple and we complicate it. But just to help us make sure we're all on the same page, I want to define religion for us. Here's what religion means. A personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices where you have all these rules in place so that you can connect with God. But like I said, we make things more complicated than they should be. Take, for instance, taxes. It should be simple, right? The government has provided us 
with some great things. There should be a certain percentage that goes to the government. But we cannot figure it out to save our lives. I now have to hire somebody to explain to me what that percentage looks like. And there's all these exceptions, all these kind of things. And we sit there and we go, I don't even know how this works. I hope you do. Even to the point to where you go to the grocery store now, and we have made so many decisions for something like toothpaste or toilet paper. Because we all have our certain desires for those things. But man, if you had never like, just entered the world now, you'd be like, how are there this many options? But the worst one of all, Worst one of all, and this is more my world, it's football, it is the whole catching a pass. I don't understand how this became so complicated, even if you don't like sports. That sounds like something you should be able to know. Like, did you catch it or not? But now we don't. Now in football, we all look at it and go, I don't know, did the football move a little bit? I have no idea. And I think it's all due to instant replay. Before, we couldn't see it that slow. Now we can. It's like, oh, wait a minute here. I see a little juggling. And depending on which team, you're going, oh, that's a catch. Oh, no, that's not a catch. See, we, we don't have bad intentions about it. But us as human beings, we take something and we go, okay, this is good. But what would make it better? How can we do whatever we can to make it? And then we add all these rules, add all these things. And it's like, this is complicated now. I don't know what to do with this. And I think that's why we started to get this perception about God that he's the killed joy. Because he made all these rules. And I'm telling you, God made it very simple. And you've got to understand it's about a relationship first, not the rules. Look at this in Romans. Romans 3.20 says this. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. For those of you who grew up in a legalistic home, read that. I had to read it multiple times. Growing up in church myself, I'm like, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So hear me. That means if you've had perfect attendance at church, if you've prayed every day, you've read your Bible every day, you've done all the good things, that does not mean you are made right with God. See, the reality is you cannot earn God's acceptance by only obeying the law. can't earn it. But there's part of us that likes that. We go, man, all right, set the ground rules. Set what do I need to do to earn God's love? And God's going, you can't. You can't earn it. But the verse wasn't done there. Look at the rest of this. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. For some of you today, this may change the whole purpose of the law. The law is not here to point out who's good and who's bad. The law simply says all of us are sinful. All of us have failed. See, to me, the purpose of the law is to show our need for a savior. 
we need a Savior. Because if the law is what it is, which it does have some pretty big rules to it, we're going, I can't, I can't match up to all these rules. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But there might be some of you in here that go, I don't know if I agree with that because I'm a pretty decent person. I'm good. I've been good. I've been good for the last five years. That should get me something. Uh, careful with that. Because let me do a quick poll. How many of you, and if you're willing to, hold your hands up high. How many of you have ever lied? And keep your hands high. We'll probably have everybody in the group here pretty soon. How many of you have ever stolen something? How many of you ever cheated on a test? Come on, let's just own it. All right? And now this could be a quick one because I understand we don't all want to admit to this one. How many of you have ever lusted? And you're like, okay, all right, that's quick. Uh, All right, real quick. But if you admit to any of those, realize we're sitting in a room with liars, thieves, cheaters, and adulterers. And you're like, oh, hey, I'd say join the club. We're all there, all right? But see, that's what the law does. It points to us and goes, you're sinful. You've been broken. The relationship has been broken from you and God because God is perfect. God is holy, but you're sinful. And see, that's what the law reveals. And that's it. Hear me, it does not determine who's good or bad. It just reveals that all of us are sinful. But it doesn't end there, because that would be depressing. <laughs> Romans 3, 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now see, there's the hope. There's the relationship piece of this. Because we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who came to this earth and says, I'll take the punishment for you. You're all sinful. But I'll take it for you. I'll take death. I will conquer sin, and I will conquer death for you so that we can have a relationship again. That's the profound power of who Jesus is. That's why our church centers around showing people who Jesus is. Because it's not about the rules. Hear me. The law shows us we're sinful, but Jesus saves us. And then when you understand that, the rules start to take on a different perspective. Because if this guy died for me, and he cares about this rule, I should probably start to listen to it. It's out of love It's out of grace, it's out of mercy, it's out of forgiveness that we begin to understand his law and the full scope of it. That's where it becomes what the law should be. I put it this way, being right with God, it's a simple statement, comes by faith in Christ alone. That's where we're right with God. It's not the law, it's through Jesus Christ. But hear me, this does not make it to where it's just going, okay, great, I've got this relationship with Jesus now. The law doesn't matter. No, 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 no. The law is so beneficial for our lives. And if we are willing to accept Jesus and begin this relationship, there is this beautiful relationship that begins to happen 
where we begin to see how these laws and these rules and these wisdoms actually benefit our lives. I want you to think about it in this context. When it comes to relationships, there is this natural understanding that there needs to be boundaries. I think you'll understand. Take a look at this. Relationships with boundaries equals healthy. And all the parents go, amen. Yes, that is so true. Because if kids without any boundaries creates chaos. Creates just this horrible experience where you're like, this is miserable. And see, relationships without boundaries creates this rebellion. I think we can all say, like, yes, that is true. I've seen that play out in my life. But it's all in the context of relationships. And to give you a picture of this, I want you to think river versus flood. So I want to show you this picture. This is Houston. You see this little river right here. You see how it has its boundaries. And within those boundaries, you see the beautifulness of it. There's things that are growing. This river gives life to the things around it. It is even a creator of life in some aspects. But there's peace in this. Things are functioning the way it should be. But then this picture down here at the bottom. Hurricane Harvey hit. Flood everywhere. You see how it's chaotic now. It's not safe. What used to be trees and roads and, and structure is now gone because the flood has taken over. And so to me, as I looked at these, all I could ask myself is, which one is my life? Is it the craziness? Is it the chaotic life where my life just seems to be falling apart all over the place? Or does it have structure in it? Is my life like the river where it has its boundaries? It's doing the things that it's supposed to be doing. And in this, you can begin to see. And God, in his amazing wisdom, begins to go, here, let me help you put boundaries within your marriage. Let me help you put boundaries within your friendships. Let me help you put boundaries in all your relationships. Because they all need them. Boundaries in even our relationship with God. But hear me, God didn't want to start there, but he goes, he understands the value of it. So a question maybe you need to wrestle with is, where's your life? Which one does it represent? But I want to go back to God being irrelevant and God being that killjoy. Here's the important thing I think we need to understand. God's relevance is found in his pursuit of us. It's not found in his law and whether we do it or not. It's found in the fact that he loved us. He cared about us. He pursued us, even while we were still sinners. We didn't deserve that. We don't deserve that kind of grace. We don't deserve that kind of mercy. But he chose to. And someone like that in our lives, we all want somebody like that, who's willing to forgive us when we make mistakes, who's willing to unconditionally love us. We all want somebody like that. And Jesus is going, I want to be that person for you. Because he did things we can't even accomplish on our own. None of us can conquer death. None of us can conquer sin. But Jesus did. And Romans 5.8 points this out. Look at this. 
But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That verse gets me every time. While we were still sinners. He didn't say, I'll wait till you clean it up. Because, man, some of us have walked in the church and felt that way. But that's not God. He says, I know you're messy. I know you're sinful. But I love you. And I believe in you. I want to change everything for you. See, to me, that doesn't sound like a killjoy. That sounds like a joy giver. And I think we've got to be very careful in our assumptions about who God is. There was something that happened to me recently that really showcased this. Uh, I had some friends who were able to adopt um, a four-year-old girl. And I had other friends uh, walk through this, and I, I had heard that just how crazy adoption is and, and the powerful moment of that. And so they invited us to come to the courtroom with them, and I was like, yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to go. I had never experienced this part of it before. And so we went to the courtroom, and we're sitting there, and um, we all file in, because it was a big group of us. And we're all there, and everything starts to go. The judge starts to walk through all the necessary steps. And it got to this point to where the judge simply asked, okay, this is the time I need to hear um, from the DSS and from the parents as to why they should adopt this girl. And I thought, okay, this will be a cool moment. And I thought I was prepared. I was not. Because what happened for the next five to ten minutes was profound to me. You have these three adults just explaining how much they love this girl and trying to <laughs> convince this judge why this should happen. I mean, even the DSS agent talking about the family and saying, hey, here's why they should do this. And then hear mom and dad crying as to why they should adopt this girl. And that girl sitting there the whole time with the biggest smile on her face. And I know she didn't fully understand everything that was going on. But to me, I sat there and the adults in the room were going, wow. So everyone gets done talking. And the judge, you can just tell, he's got this big smile on his face. And just kind of stops all the proceedings and just goes, I, I want you all to hear this. This moment I could experience 24-7 every time I come in here. Because these moments are powerful. But you can only imagine the difficulties the horrible things that go on in this courtroom. But these things right here, they make it worth it. Now it's like, oh, those, those are good words. Everything wrapped up, and as I got back in my car, all I could think about, because God kept pushing in and saying, that's what I did for you. And I pictured myself walking into a courtroom, knowing how messy I am, knowing how sinful I am. And there's the Father as the judge. There's Jesus Christ sitting right next to me. 
And Father starts walking through all the proceedings, and he looks and goes, why do we think this man should be adopted into our family? (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, I don't deserve this. These, These people are so good. And I'm curious if anyone's going to say anything, but then Jesus stands up and says, I want to tell you why. Because I love him. I believe in him. And I paid for his sins. My blood was shed for him. And not only that, I believe there's so much good in him. And I want him to live a life I truly believe will be the best for him. I could just, that moment, tears coming down my face, just picturing that, because that is the reality of it. Jesus paid our way. We are adopted into God's family because of him. We don't deserve it. And think about this. Jesus' sacrifice is made possible because of the law. If the law is not there, then we're, there's no reason for it. See, there's power in the law because of what Jesus did for us. His sacrifice becomes so much more powerful in understanding, I didn't deserve that. My sin, according to the law, deserved punishment. So hear this. If God's law is irrelevant, then Jesus' sacrifice is irrelevant. And I don't want that to be true in my life. Jesus went to the cross for me and for all of us. That makes him relevant. So we should probably begin to look at his law, maybe in a different light. So I want to bring out that Psalms 23 verse again. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In view of what Jesus has done, don't this, doesn't this verse ring true? Look at Psalms 119. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. I hope we become a group of people who begin to see God's law in a different way, not as a killjoy, but recognizing God's sacrifice for me and these laws are valuable. I may not understand them all right now. I may not agree with all of them right now. But I trust Jesus because of what he's done for me. So I think here's here's the step we need to take. In order to be healthy in this, I think we've got to become a student of God's law. And here's what that looks like. Read, write, ask, and pray. If you're going, okay, what do I read? Read the Bible. I would even be, take Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus begins teaching on so many rules, so many different teachings. And I want you to take them, just listen to it, and write them all down. And then after you write them all down, just simply ask yourself, am I following these? This is not out of guilt or shame, the end and goal of this, but it's just this challenge of going, this is what Jesus said. He's my Savior. 
Am I doing what he's asking of me? If I truly believe he changed my life, then I should probably listen to what he has to say. So read, write, ask, and the last part, pray. Because I know, I've been there. It's tough to understand God's law to the full extent. It's not like you're going to read it tomorrow and be like, oh, it all makes sense. But God's going to help you because there's a relationship piece there first. And so I came up with a prayer that I thought was helpful for me, and I wanted to share it with you. Look at this prayer. Help me to find protection and comfort in your law through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, my Savior. When that moment comes where you're struggling with his rules, struggling with his law, struggling with the wisdom that he's offering you, and you're going, God, this doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I think just stop yourself and simply pray this prayer. Help me to find protection and comfort in your law through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I think that always puts us back into the right perspective of seeing God for who he really is, our Savior. To wrap up our time, here's what I wanted to do. We've been doing these prayer walls at the end of every service to where we've been uh, writing people's names down and rolling them up and putting them in the wall so that we can be praying for them as a church. But today, here's what I want. If you are, if you're like me and, and you maybe grew up struggling with the law or you grew up in a legalistic home and then today you were kind of like, I needed that. Because I've had that moment. It happened to me in, in my life and it was like, I needed to hear that. Here's what I want you to do. Because you're like, I need that relationship with God. I need it to be real. I simply want you to write your name. Because I want you to experience what a real relationship with God is like. Where it's not set on whether you're being good or bad based on his rules. You are made complete. You are whole. You are good because of Jesus' sacrifice for you. And you need to own that today. Simply, I want you to write your name, roll it up, and put it up there. But for some of us, maybe we made that decision long ago and recognized how powerful it is. But there are people in your life who you're going, they need that. We need to be praying for them. I wish they would have been here for this sermon. And so I want you to take that time where you write their names down and put them on the wall. Because I want this to be a powerful moment where we begin to see God in the right light and realizing that everybody needs to experience God in that way. So as soon as I say amen, please get up and go write the names that you need to. Let me pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for being relationship-oriented first, for doing everything you did for us. God, we didn't deserve that. And it's amazing to think about how powerful that is, to see the glory of you shining through our lives. So God, may we learn your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and your love, and may we learn to put your rules in the right context. May we learn to be a river and not a flood. And God, may this moment right now where we pray to you, we ask for your help. May it bring us comfort and bring us protection that we need. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen.